Well, my thanks to Jake for setting me up here for talking about the love of God. I've got one goal in mind in sharing with you my way of God's Word and my thoughts from God's Word is to catch a glimpse. Uh, It's no more than any of us could expect to get. A glimpse of how big God's love is. So the title on the front of your worship folder, your bulletin, is uh, There Are No Borders in God's Love. There aren't any political borders. There are no geographical borders. There are no emotional borders. It comes from a song we sang a couple weeks ago, Let There Be Light, I think was the title of the song. But that line caught my eye because that's exactly what we need to hear. We do not preach judgment. Yes, there is a judgment. But the news is good news. And so that's what we teach and preach and trust. That God has good news. Boy, this world's got plenty of bad news, does it not? We're going to recap the story of Jonah first, and then I'm going to make some uh, connections about the implications of what it means in the Jonah story. The ironic part of Jonah is, I'm not sure he ever got it. Uh, you want to put up that last that, that verse, Jonah 4.11. So here's a unique thing about Jonah the only book of the Bible that I'm aware of that ends with a question mark. So it leaves you hanging. And God says to Jonah, after he's angry that God forgave Nineveh, that God relented the judgment that he intended, should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? Question mark. End of story. Now, it leaves leaves us hanging, I believe, because we need to find out how we will answer that. We don't know if Jonah ever got it. Jonah's angry because God gave up on his judgment and sended his relief, his love, to Nineveh because they repented. Jesus picks up that story in the New Testament. It'll be easier on those of Nineveh because they repented than some of the people that heard the good news from Jesus, and they did not. God's love, and I'm so thankful for the strings and everything else this morning to sing that beautiful old hymn, The Love of God. It is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. It reaches to the highest star and goes to the lowest hell. No boundaries, no borders, nothing can stop God's love from being exposed to everybody everywhere. The Jonah story is an extraordinary reversal. The word of God comes to Jonah. So chapter, four, chapter 1, verse 1, if you'll go there. Uh, the word of God comes to Jonah. Everything begins with the word. Everything. We have it in Genesis, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. It begins with the Gospel of John, in the beginning was the Word. Everything begins with God speaking, and God speaking into this world of violence and darkness, love and light. 
So the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it. Now, that's judgment. Preach against it. Because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Now, let's look at the map. Uh, The map gives you a little sense of the, the geography here of where this Jonah story takes place. Uh, Tarshish is west from Israel or Palestine. Uh, Nineveh is east. Well, Jonah makes his way down to the eastern shore of uh, the Mediterranean Sea. Do you have that map? Ah, I'm looking back there. You can see it. Thank you. Uh, you see, on the very left side, and it's, it's Spain, if you're not familiar with the geography, but usually when you see the boot of uh, Italy there, you, it's 2,600 miles to the, east, to the west from Nineveh. So Jonah is expected to go a little bit north and off to the east to Nineveh and preach judgment, but rather he goes west and down to Joppa, picks up a boat headed in the opposite direction, to get away from God. Now, I think he should know better than that. But then shouldn't we all? Jake spoke of it in his own life. So the word of the Lord comes, and Jonah will never be the same because of a word, Jonah, go. Now, he tries to get away from it, but he'll never be the same. There is no prior history to this Jonah story. There is no reference to Jonah doing other things. He's just an ordinary guy doing his ordinary life, And all of a sudden, God's word comes and everything changes. And then when God says go and Jonah says no, that unleashes a series of consequences that, again, changes his life in ways that he never would have expected, never could have planned for, had no idea what was coming his way. God does this to a lot of people. God does this to Moses. At 80 years of age, can you imagine this? At 80, I'm getting too close, but uh, uh, I keep thinking God's done with me, but no. At 80, God speaks out of a burning bush and tells him to go to Pharaoh and tell him to let my people go. At 80, and Moses' life because of the word of God, will never be the same again. It happened to me. I'm 18 or 19, sitting in a religious service at a summer camp on a Sunday afternoon, listening to a missionary speak, and then he gives the invitation to those who are thinking God's touching them to give themselves and their future and their life to God and the ministry. And I don't remember anything else that day except I had this intense awareness that God was talking to me, and it changed my life. Everything I thought I was going to be doing for the rest of my life, I grew up as a farmer in North Dakota, went to school for agronomy and animal science, intended everything in my being to be that, and then God comes calling, the word of the Lord came to me, and everything changed. God does that. The Jonah story is filled with irony. 
God says go, Jonah says no, he disobeys. But in the process of Jonah's disobedience, a bunch of sailors on board this ship that goes out to sea and is caught up in a huge storm, they get saved and they give vows to the Lord and they make sacrifices to the Lord and they are changed forever. Nineveh, after Jonah goes, repents. That city is changed. The king repents. All sorts of good things happen. We don't know for sure about Jonah because he resented what God was doing. I went to a funeral yesterday. An old friend, he lived a great and full life. And out of that came this great sensation. I could wish that the things that were said about him would, have been, would be said about me in that context. I doubt it. But there is this great sense of compassion that I had for his family. They wept their tears of sharing memories and the past of their father and their grandfather. Compassion for his wife, Shirley. She's got early signs of dementia. Compassion for the family that you could tell just felt a little bit lost yesterday without their father and grandfather. Well, that's what God wants Nineveh to know, that he has compassion on them. They have no idea. Jonah, you need to go tell them. And shouldn't I, God saying to Nineveh, and to Jonah, shouldn't I have compassion? Shouldn't I care? Shouldn't I be concerned about these people that don't know their right hand from the left? They're clueless. Shouldn't I care about that, Jonah? Shouldn't you care about that, Jonah? Question mark, end of the story. Jonah goes. It's a long trip from Joppa high seas, all these problems that developed a big storm. You know, Jonah's just a favorite book of mine. I told you that my first Sunday here when Dustin interviewed me a little bit. And it's great for kids. You know, kids love it. They got this uh, story of a big fish, this story of being swallowed whole and then being spit up on dry land. And, oh, it's got drama galore. But it's a great story, especially of God's love. Now, it's not very hard to understand Jonah's disobedience. It's not hard at all. In Nineveh is the enemy. This is the Assyrian to the east capital. This is where the enemy comes from. This is what Israel can expect the enemy to do. And the Assyrians do overrun them, take them into exile. Same with the Babylonians coming from the east. Nineveh is the enemy. Plus, Jonah himself describes God's word. They are wicked. That's a strong word. They are evil. And they are violent. No wonder he wanted no part of Nineveh. Don't do this to me, God. Now put yourself in his place. If God came with his word to you, I want you to go to Pyongyang, North Korea, 
and I want you to stand up in the town square and pronounce judgment. Forty more days. How would that go? Or maybe you could do the same thing in downtown New York City or downtown Washington, D.C. and stand on the Capitol steps and say, 40 more days in judgment. Jonah wants no part of this. And I think I understand exactly why. So the bigger question in the book and what we need to answer is, or at least try to answer, how should God respond to wickedness, evil, and violence? How should he respond? Now, there are three basic choices. You could do lots of nuances, but three basic choices. He could ignore it completely. Yeah, do what you want. Or he could destroy it completely. I've had enough. Sodom and Gomorrah time here. Or, or he could send his prophet and send his message of love and forgiveness to Nineveh, which is obviously what the story is. Well, Jonah goes reluctantly, but he finally goes. They're in the fish, you know, and... Uh, Ryan read it for us. In the belly of the fish, he has an awakening. Uh, salvation is from the Lord. I suspect he knows full well, I'm as good as done here. In fact, some make a theory that uh, because he spent three days and three nights in the belly of the fish, those, uh, those acids in the stomach of the fish went to work on him, and he may have come out white as a ghost, maybe an albino. And he shows up in Nineveh and starts preaching judgment, and people say, whoa, who is this? Oh, we don't know any of that. It's a theory. But he goes, and Nineveh is turned around. Well, when he starts to flee, he's out at sea in a big storm that God sent. God did it. Jonah is trying to get away. God says, I'm going to find you, Jonah. You, you can try to run, but you can't hide. Irony. Oh, there's ironies throughout this book. Jonah gets on board the ship, ready to head west, get away from God, get away from all these callings of the God's word, and he falls asleep into a deep sleep. I don't know, maybe he's in something of a coma, but he's, he's running. He doesn't want anything to do with this. God sends the storm. The sailors are afraid. The captain's afraid. They jerk him awake. Who are you and what have you done? They cast lots. Who's responsible for this? Who are you? Chapter 1, verse 9, if you'd project that. And Jonah tells them, <clears throat> I am a Hebrew. Okay. And I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land, and it's that sea that is about to destroy them all. And it says the sailors and the captain are terrified. Now we know what's going on. This guy's running away from God. And the God who made the seas is now about to swallow them all up. I am a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. The same sea that's going to destroy them. Well, what should we do, the sailors ask. Well, it's my fault. Throw me overboard. Now that's a pretty bold thing to say. It's interesting that he's very confessional. He's very willing to take responsibility. 
Well, the storm worsens. Finally, they do throw him overboard. The storm ends. The seas grow calm. And these sailors start worshiping the Lord. Amazing. They offer their vows. They offer their sacrifices. They honor the Lord. Verse 17. A curious little wording here. Now, the Lord provided... Underline in your mind, provided. (laughs) The Lord provided a big fish, a huge fish, to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. The Lord provided. It's love now. I don't think Jonah saw it that way. Uh, Jake already described how that didn't feel like love to him, these diagnoses. But now God is pursuing him with a task of salvation, provided a big fish. Well, it's a form of judgment, but now finally, inside the fish, Jonah prays. Chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, he's as good as done. I called for help, and you listened to my cry. Go to 2, 9, and 10. But I, with shouts of grateful, shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you I, what I have vowed I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish. He's in charge. And it vomited. Now, that's not a pretty picture. But it vomited Jonah onto dry ground. Jonah is saved, but here we go again. Act 2 in chapter 3 of Jonah, and the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go. This time Jonah obeys. I can't imagine that he obeys anxiously and ready and willing. I think he obeys willing willing to give up on this whole thing, except uh, I don't want to do that fish thing again, so... Let's let that one go. He shows up in Nineveh. He's got a simple message. Forty more days and then Nineveh will be overthrown. Pay attention to the number 40. It's a big number in Scripture. Forty is a a number of waiting, a number of probation, a testing. How's this going to turn out? Jesus is in the wilderness for 40 days. It's a testing. Israel is in the wilderness for 40 years. It's a test. How are you going to pass or fail the test? Well, 40 more days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. Surprise, surprise, Nineveh repents. Shocking. I doubt if Jonah expected that. Well, they put on sackcloth and ashes. The king issues a proclamation. Everybody all the way down to the animals are to do this. A major revival is underway. I could only wish that I could initiate such a thing, preaching. Jonah preaches and Nineveh is repentant and they're ready to turn around and honor the Lord. And they do so. And then an even bigger surprise because, go to verse 10 in chapter 3, When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had intended, that he had threatened. So now, God changes his mind. I don't know about you, my theology doesn't like that one. 
But God had sent the prophet of judgment, but God's love so overrules that that now God relents. Oh, my. Jonah does not like it. Chapter 4, verse 1. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. Well, of course he would. What a fool I look like to the Ninevites. I polled them 40 more days in judgment. Now God says, never mind. (laughs) He's embarrassed. He's a false prophet in their eyes. You pronounce judgment? Well, it didn't turn out that way. Surprise, surprise, even big, big surprises, and they get bigger as we go along. Jonah spends the last chapter of the book angry. He goes out east of the city and waits for what's going to happen to Nineveh, still hoping that God will do what he said he was going to do, overthrow Nineveh. Now, it says to the east, he went out and sat down and waited. And when he goes to the east, that's where judgment is coming from. The Assyrians and the Babylonians are always coming from the east, waiting. God does some more, oh, fanciful things. He lets a plant grow up and covers him, and Jonah appreciates the shade in that hot place. But then God sends a worm, and the plant is destroyed, and it withers, and no more shade. Now Jonah's angry again. Is it right for you to be angry, he asked Jonah. Jonah's adamant. I'm angry enough to die. He's suicidal, I suppose, is what you would say. But again, God has to do these extraordinary measures to get Jonah's attention to see how big his love is. You undoubtedly are all well familiar with Psalm 23. I put emphasis on the last verse. Surely goodness and love, some translations, mercy. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now some translations will say it the way I think it should be said. Not follow me, but pursue me. Surely goodness and love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. God's love is relentless, always pursuing, even when it is rejected. Jonah goes because God's pursuing him. God finds these sailors, and they're just innocent bystanders, but God is pursuing them and the captain and Nineveh. And Jonah again in the belly of the fish. God forever, forever, forever pursuing us with his love. There are no boundaries. There is no limit to the love of God. The highest star, the lowest hell. I leave you with probably the most famous verse in all of the scripture. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Oh, that's good news. But let's put it in context. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, 
but to save it. Love. To save it. Just like he wanted to save Nineveh, and when they repented, he did. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because this whole world is under judgment. You want to know why Jake had his troubles? Why we all have our troubles? This world is a broken place. We are under condemnation. The world has to be healed, has to be restored, has to be saved, and God is in the business of doing it. And God has provided his son as that. No borders, no boundaries. So I leave you with a simple question. How big is your conception of God's love? Would you let God do to you what he did to Jonah? To take up a very uncomfortable place because God loves my enemy every bit as much as he loves me. Would you let God do to you in your context, with your circumstances, what he did to Jonah?